It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. is the San Jose Sharks Honda NHL West Division Preview. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. Alright guys, welcome back. Hockey is upon us once again. It has been way, way, way too long for you San Jose Sharks fans, and things have changed. The Honda NHL West Division. Sharks, Ducks, Kings, Knights, Coyotes, Abs, Wild, and Blues. Eight teams. Canada, they're doing their own thing. But these teams are going to be vying for four playoff spots. All the experts, they're saying in no particular order, Abs, Vegas, and the Blues. And that leaves one more spot that the Sharks, Coyotes, Wild, Kings, and Ducks can all battle for. Now, whether or not those predictions are right and or wrong, we're going to find out. But let's take a look at this division team by team. To start out, let's look no further than Southern California. We're going to start with the LA Kings. Last year, they were 29, 35, and 6. That's 64 points over 70 games, 7th in the Pacific, 14th in the Western Conference. Depending on how who you want to ask, it is a quote-unquote rebuild, although nobody in that franchise wants to view it that way, or at least that's not the word that they're quote-unquote saying. But you look at what they've been building upon. They've been looking at the draft. They've been trying to get better. But you still look at some of the overall things they did in this offseason. The idea is that they got stronger through the draft and are building towards the future while still making themselves more competitive in the interim or in the right here and now, especially if you look at that new defenseman they got in Ole Mata, who's been paired with Drew Doughty. But let's hear it from a man who has been with the LA Kings for decades. It is TV color commentator Jim Fox. I started off asking him about the big picture view of the LA Kings. The first thing that comes to mind is it's the second year for Todd McClellan as the head coach. So he comes in last year and he didn't just tweak things. He completely changed every system as far as offensive zone, neutral zone, defensive zone. He changed it all. So uh, that's important to, to now that the Kings to reestablish what they were picking up on last year. You know, do you feel it's important or not? I really don't look at it that as a big priority, but the Kings did finish last year on a seven-game winning streak, and they were playing better, and the system was taken in by the group, and they were executing much better. How quickly they can pick up on that, to me, is that first big-picture mm -hmm. element to look at. Yeah. If they can get that going and start where they left off, then you're at a whole different position. The same as last year is this. This group, right now it's not structured where you would say, you know, compete for a Stanley Cup because you have extremely young prospects. I'm talking those 18, 19, 20 years old, which independent sources have ranked the Kings right at the top of the NHL as far as their prospect pool. But it's tough to jump in. Then you have a middle group, and then you have that veteran core I was talking about. So to get everyone to pull on the rope the same way is very difficult because the young guys don't know if they're NHL players yet. They're trying to prove. The middle guys are NHL players, but are they going to be impact players or just role players? And then the veteran guys, yeah, they know what's going on, but are they getting to that, you know, are you looking at the end of the tunnel for their career? I don't think they are, but that's that's where this group is right now. So how would you bring that all together? I know Todd talked last year and the Kings did about that middle core group, the guys that are second, third, fourth year on the Kings, it would be a Matt Roy, it would be an Adrian Kempe, it would be an Alex Iafalo, it would be a, a, a Sean Walker back on Blue Line. That's Those are the guys that, that really have to bring it together. I think they have to take a next step. And again, are you just a role player or are you an impact player? Now, one of the guys that was signed to be a quote-unquote impact player is Drew Doughty. He's polarizing among hockey fans and among LA Kings fans 
in particular. As of late, he has not looked like the guy we all expect him to be, and we know there is an immense amount of pressure on him to try and be the player that he is capable of being if this team is going to make those steps in the right direction. His game did slip and change a little bit. It changed last year. It didn't slip. He, he really found himself in a situation where maybe for the first time in his career, and maybe it started at the end of the previous season too, where he's trying to do too much. He really is. And that's a good thing. He's not throwing in the towel. He's not giving up on this group. But I found him in read situations where, man, in the past, I would say a billion times, I'd say, Drew, do ne never change anything. Never. Because you just do everything so right as far as your reads. Last year, there was more than a couple of times where he was caught you know, trying to do too much. I mean, my opinion only. The local media here had a vote on the Kings Awards and they voted Matt Roy the best defenseman of the Kings. Matt, please understand my respect for you, but Drew Doughty was still the best defenseman on the Kings. His game slipped. It was, it had some holes in it compared to previous, but, you know, he's playing every single shift against the other team's top players. He's playing minutes up the yin-yang. But uh, I was asked a couple of days ago, what are you looking for? What's the one thing? And I was, I, my answer was Drew Doughty. Drew Doughty's the guy I'm watching the most this year. And keeping on that theme of veteran leadership, one of the things that could propel the Kings to a higher standing than what we might expect from them is going to be dependent on the health of Jonathan Quick and whether he can regain the form that we saw earlier in his career. That was another thing that Jim and I got into. It, I think it's a really awkward situation. It really is with Jonathan Quick because you have Kel Peterson, who's who's the guy coming. He, he's the next in line. I watch Jonathan, or I used to watch him in practice every day. <laughs> I don't think he's slowed down by any means. The injuries you were talking about, yeah, a lot like a lot of those, you know, that groin and the leg injury, that that type of stuff, um, really hurt him. Especially, of course, for the goaltender, those are your man. That's how you make your living. To me, that with Jonathan, it, it's it's more of. You know what? He, he's a competitor. And for those veteran leaders that you would look to in Dowdy and in Jonathan Quick, like I've been saying, if those guys are capable of playing to the level that we know they are capable of, that changes the dynamic. And that's why I'm having such a hard time, you know, really handicapping everything within this division because things can change. Health matters, especially in a compressed season such as this one. If you get a Jonathan Quick playing at the level that he's capable of and another team, one of those top three teams we've mentioned, has injury troubles, that changes the dynamic. Now, another thing to look into is with this Kings team is Todd McClellan. I mean, listen, we all remember him here in San Jose. He came into a loaded team in terms of talent. He had unprecedented success. No, he didn't win the cup. But since his time in San Jose came to an end, it's been a little bit more of a challenge for him. So that was one of the things that I asked him about was the idea of juxtaposing the success that Todd had earlier in his career versus what he's being tasked with now and what he's being asked to do. You know, I think it's been it's been an adjustment. It's been different for Todd, but. I know, you know, we all know that uh, Rob Blake is the general manager and he he set the tone, he set the vibe, he set the situation for Todd. You know, it was a rebuild. And if you don't want to call it that, then that's fine. I do. Todd came in probably in the second year of the teardown. Before you rebuild, you got to tear down. It's much more difficult now. And that's where, you know, the Kings are being criticized now and maybe Chicago and teams that had success. You know what? Rebuilding before the salary cap is a lot easier because when you want to get rid of your players or your, you know, the veteran guys that you want to restock and it's easier then because you can move them. Teams mm -hmm. are willing to take them because there's no cap. Now with a cap, it's tough. Rob was in the you know second year of that teardown. Todd comes in. I think the Kings now have probably moved the players they wanted to move. And now they're looking, you know, so that the, the first two years of that is over. Todd was aware of that. That was communicated to Todd. And I think his approach, I think that was reflected by his public approach and the way he approached the media, talking about different groups on his, you know, on this team, understanding he has to get ice time for younger players. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that sacrifices wins, at least now. But I think in the long run, uh, Todd is, is on the same page as everyone else. His communication skill with the media is second to none. And if that communication skill falls through into the dressing room, then I think the Kings are in good hands. So that's what we look at with the LA Kings entering this year. It's a rebuild that not everybody wants to rebrand as such, but I think you have to look 
at what Jim was saying about it being phase two. You did the teardown, you did the demolition, now you're trying to build it back up. So you look at some of the pieces that were there, especially with a new pairing uh, with Drew Doughty of Olimata, that makes them better than they were a year ago. So I think the overall idea for the Kings this year is to build upon what was done last year and improve upon it. You know, you try to take those steps forward. You talk about the way they ended last year on a positive note. And I, you know, there aren't Stanley Cup aspirations here, but there's talent here that deserves respect. And just because every power ranking has them towards the bottom doesn't mean that they might surprise people, especially like I keep on saying in a shortened season. From there, we are going to turn to the Anaheim Ducks. Last year, they were 29, 33, and 9, 67 points on the standings, 6th place in the Pacific, 13th place in the Western Conference. Second straight year for that team outside of the playoffs. They're not what they used to be. So let's take a look forward and a look back with Radio Color commentator Dan Wood for the Anaheim Ducks. Of course, you remember him from his time covering the San Jose Sharks with then Contra Costa Times. But I asked him, let's look back a year. Let's look forward at this year. Pan out. What's the 30,000-foot view of this team? Well, I think what they were last year, Ted, was better than people think. Uh, and when I say people, I think there's a, a situation where the media landscape in the NHL is dominated so much by what comes out of Canada. And I think you can probably lump the Ducks, the Sharks, and the Kings together in this sense, because I think they're all overlooked. And I think that's primarily just a product of the fact that the media people in Canada uh, don't think a whole lot about the teams in California. And it's kind of ironic when you consider how good the Ducks, the Sharks, and the Kings were mm -hmm. for how long. But now it's like they've fallen off the map. I know I've done a couple of interviews where people have asked me things that make it very clear that they really aren't paying attention to what's going on in California. As far as the Ducks specifically, I think they were more competitive last season than people realize. It didn't necessarily show up in the one-loss column, but in terms of uh, how close games were, uh, how many games they were in compared to the preceding season, I think there's a striking difference if you look closely enough. So the question for the Anaheim Ducks is whether they can uh, continue to progress and make enough progress to make people notice and be potentially in a playoff race. Mm -hmm. With the makeup of this new West division, I think it's pretty clear who the top three teams are. And then beyond that, what happens? I'm sure the, the Ducks, the Sharks, the Kings, certainly the Coyotes and the Wild, they all figure they have a shot at that fourth playoff spot. So we'll see how it plays out. Now, the big offseason addition for the Ducks, that was Kevin Shattenkirk. He just won a Stanley Cup. He's been around for a long time. He's 31 years old, and he's coming off a productive season last year. Eight goals, 34 points in 70 games. He had three goals and 10 assists in 25 postseason games. So what are the expectations? Shattenkirk is definitely going to help the Ducks on the power play. And uh, to be honest, you and I could probably help the Ducks on the power play, given how <laughs> horrible they were last year. He's clearly a veteran who understands what's going on. He comes from having won a Stanley Cup. I think uh, the power play is going to be a huge emphasis for the Ducks because they know they have to get better there. And certainly Kevin Shattenkirk should help. Now, my question with regard to Sh Kevin Shattenkirk is this. The Ducks believe now they have a solid top four on D with Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson and now Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, certainly, that's a better-looking top four than they've had the past couple of years. Is Kevin Shattenkirk going to be able to really hold up his end of the bargain there in terms of playing against top players because he's going to have to at times? If so, that bodes real well for the Anaheim Ducks. If not, if uh, you can only count on Lindholm, Manson, and Fowler to play against the Logan Couture's of the world, then you might have a problem. So again, another mystery. Now, another one of those mysteries for the Ducks is where the offense is going to come from. Is that going to be the old guys, the Henriques of the world, or is it going to be some of these young guys? I think it's both, and I think it needs to be both. If you look at last season, Adam Henrique certainly 
can be happy with the numbers that he put up. Had they been able to complete the season, he most likely would have hit 30 goals. Uh, Cam Fowler had a good season. Beyond that, though, it would be difficult to identify anyone and say, yeah, he played well throughout the course of the season. So given that, I think everyone has the opportunity to really improve here, and the Ducks are going to need that. Now, speaking of those young guys, you can't possibly leave out talk of Trevor Zegras. You saw him tearing it up at the World Juniors. I asked about the buzz around Zegras. Yeah, I've heard a ton of buzz about (laughs) Trevor Zegras. And uh, given how he is performing in the World Juniors, how could you not? Um, If if Trevor Zegras were a Maple Leafs prospect or an Oilers prospect, you would be hearing all kinds of things about him. But again, I go back to my belief in the media kind of overlooking the teams on the West Coast. Uh, Trevor Zegers isn't getting as much attention as he might otherwise. But this is a kid who, chatting with some of the Ducks players, who obviously worked out with him before training camp, it's clear that even they are impressed by his skill set. His passing ability, his vision, his creativity, uh, not very many guys have that. Now, the question is, is he big enough, strong enough, mature enough to translate that to the NHL level? I've seen a lot of guys have a ton of success and light it up in World Juniors, even in the American League, and not be able to translate that to the NHL. As you mentioned, Trevor Zegers is extremely young. Prior to training camp, In my own mind, I didn't think there was much chance at all that Trevor Zegers would be on this team at the outset of this season. Uh, I've amended that belief a little bit just because of what I've heard from the Ducks, what they think of this kid. He is the Ducks' most exciting prospect since John Gibson. You know, along with Jamie Drysdale, their first-round pick this year, who's on Team Canada's top pair at the World Juniors, Zegers and Drysdale certainly are both big parts of Anaheim's future. And the future is likely what the Ducks are looking towards in building this year. Because again, it's two consecutive years out of the playoffs, and there's so much talk about these future guys like a Trevor Zegers. And again, if you saw him at the World Juniors, you know why. But, you know, can John Gibson be the guy that we know he's capable of being? If he can do that, then the team is definitely formidable. But that's a best-case scenario. That's assuming he's better than he was a year ago. That's assuming that some of these young guys can really take big steps forward. And that's the big question. Can these guys take these big steps forward? And that's what we'll have to see. From there, we are going to go to our next team on our division preview. That is going to be the Arizona Coyotes. The Arizona Coyotes were 33-29-8 in the 2019-2020 season. They were 5th in the Pacific Division. They were 11th in the Western Conference. They did go to the summer playoff bubble. They beat the Nashville Predators in the qualifying round before losing in five games to the Avs in the first round. Now, we know right off the bat their strength is goaltending. Their weakness is offense. But when talking to their TV play-by-play man, Matt McConnell, I asked him what are going to be some of the other factors that influence the Coyotes season and this abbreviated season overall. In the National Hockey League, there's always going to be a couple of teams that surprise, right? And there are always going to be a couple of teams that disappoint. And and it kind of, you know, plays with the calculus a little bit. And I think a big part of the calculus this year is health. You know, we talked about it. Who can stay healthy? Um, Obviously, it's going to be depth. I know that um, general manager Bill Armstrong here in Arizona and his head coach Rick Tockett, one of the you know one of the points of emphasis going into camp was trying to build a roster where they have a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. So Rick Tockett is a head coach that likes flexibility. He likes guys that can play the center position, but maybe one game you throw them on the wing because this other guy is slotted in the middle, things like that. So so I think teams are going to have to stay healthy. 
they're going to have to be flexible and and I mean real flexible because what happens if you get a positive test and all of a sudden it's two hours before the puck drop and you got to insert two guys into your lineup that didn't think they were going to play. So it's it, 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 there's so many moving parts. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. But bottom line, I think it does get us a little bit closer to normalcy, and, and I think that's what we're all shooting for. Normalcy, when we think of the Coyotes, is going to be goaltending. We know they are outstanding in front of the net. Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta, in my, in my mind, they're probably top three, top four as a tandem in the entire league. Darcy Kemper is, a, is I think, is a Vezina candidate uh, each and every year. He's, he's really developed as a, as a good starting goaltender. He's had some health issues. Ranta the same. You know, the Coyotes have battled that a little bit. But goaltending will be solid. It's also safe to say that this team is going to be very good overall defensively. They were a top five team in terms of goals against at five on five last year. And when you look at their blue line, familiar faces are back. Uh, Oliver ekman Larson is the anchor. He's the team captain. He'll play 23, 24 minutes a game, I would imagine. Uh, you've got a former Shark in Jason Demers, who mm-hmm. has been very good paired with OEL in the past. You've got a Stanley Cup champion in Nick Jalmerson, a multi-Stanley Cup champion. And they've got some other kids that they're trying to work in. But the question, of course, revolves around the offense, where are those goals going to come from? And I used that word calculus before, and I'm going to go back to it one more time because I think when Bill Armstrong was putting this roster together, number one, he wanted to get tougher and he wanted to get bigger. And he has done that in, in the bottom six of the forward group. But the other thing that he wanted to do was, and part of that calculus is the young guys, Clayton Keller, Christian Dvorak, Connor Garland, Nick Schmaltz, all of these players are expected to kind of make that next jump. You know what I mean? Uh, to go from maybe 15 goals to 20 goals, to go from 45 points to 55 points. So that is going to be, I think, the entire key to the season. They'll be good goal in, in goal. They're going to be good defensively. But who's going to score the goals? And can that young core make that next step? One of the other things that Matt and I got into is that with a shortened season, with the lack of preseason games, with an abbreviated training camp, what were going to be some of the early signs of success for this Arizona Coyote teams? Is it going to be winning those tight defensive battles and relying on your goalies and your defense to be able to make those stops and win those tight 2-1, you know, one nothing style games or hold on for a 3-1, you know, style win that you get an empty net or late? Or is it going to be, is the offense going to show up? Are these players that you're relying on to take that next step forward, is that going to be the key to success? Well, I think it's health. You know, we talked a little bit about that. And I do think it's familiarity. I I think, um, you know, from day one in training camp, I think what Rick Tockett is trying to do is establish his top four lines and his top three defensive pairings because, you know, there's no time. You're talking about a nine, 10 day training camp with no preseason games. And then boom, you're right into the schedule. So, and and, and it's going to come fast. You know, you're, you're, pretty much playing about every other day. So, so I'm going to be looking, I'm going to be looking at that. And I'm also going to, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I'm really going to be interested to see around the league if teams out of the shoot try to kind of keep it simple. You know what I mean? Not, you know, not, not try to get engulfed in everything that they're trying to accomplish maybe at the 25 or 30 game mark. We, we actually discussed that at practice. The broadcasters, all of us had a kind of a brief conversation is, you know, do you, do you just kind of jump in both feet or do you try to really shore up a few parts of your game to give you a um, to give you a gooding, if you will, to get going into the season? So I, I think that's something I'm going to look for, too, as well. And then one of the bigger pieces for the Arizona Coyotes has been an offseason of pieces in and pieces out. The change that brings and where that puts the onus now as they try to develop this team to make it another year of getting back to the playoffs after a long drought. Well, you know, it, the the big thing here is, you know, they, there has been some roster turnover. Uh, you know, Taylor Hall has moved on to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Carl Soderberg was a very good centerman for them last year. He signed as a free agent in Chicago. They're, you know, the, the Coyotes are, in a way, you know, maybe a little bit like the Sharks as they're as they're trying to see what some of the young kids can can do. 
Uh, but I think I, I think when you look at this Coyotes team again, they're they're going to be very good between between the pipes. Their goaltending is terrific. Defensively, I think they're going to be very very good as they were last year. It's just a matter of the young core group taking that next step, being able to provide a little additional offense, and I think that's what general manager Bill Armstrong's looking for. So what do we look at when we look at the Coyotes? We know they're going to be dependent on their goalies. We know they're going to be dependent on their defense. But you look at some of the things that left in the offseason. No more Taylor Hall. No more Carl Soderberg. No more Brad Richardson. You know, you bring in Johan Larson. You bring in a John Hayden. You bring in a Tyler Pitlick. He's going to balance things out because we know what happens when you have the goalies with all the onus on them. They know that there is a razor thin margin of error and that psychological toll takes its effect. And when they go into those games feeling like they have to be perfect, it wears you down. So again, this, this Coyotes team, they're, they're trying to figure out their way back into the playoffs again, but it's going to take a lot of things going right for them. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to be a, a dangerous team. I mean, that, that this is, again, I keep on coming back to this. You look at the names from the outside, you look at what the team is potentially capable of and what their strengths are, and you think, yes, this is one of those teams that can compete for that fourth spot in this Honda West division. Are they better than the Kings? Probably. Are they better than the Ducks? Probably. Are they better than the Wild? Probably. Are they better than the Sharks? That's where you think to yourself, that's a team that the Sharks can beat if they are back and healthy. It's just, again, you're looking at these things on paper as opposed to how they are looking out in front of you. And you make these same comparisons when you're talking about the Kings. Are the Kings better than the Ducks? We'll have to see. Are the Ducks better than the Kings? It gets interesting, but that's that's what the regular season is for. Like Matt alluded to, are teams going to live up to their expectations or are they going to play beneath their expectations? Now, heavy, heavy, heavy expectations are exactly what the Colorado Avalanche are entering this season, carrying on their shoulders. Things did not go the way they hoped they would go in the playoffs last year. I felt that they really lost their mojo compared to what they were in the regular season. And of course, there were some injuries and other outside factors that led them, in my opinion, not looking like the team that they were in the regular season. But when you look at this Avalanche team, you can't not be very, very wary of what their ceiling is. They are fast. They have one of the best lines in all of the NHL. They have so much raw ability, and it's just a matter if they can stay healthy, which we that's another thing we keep on hitting on to. This Colorado Avalanche team is going to be very, very scary. Let's take a look. The Colorado Avalanche were 42, 20, and 8. 92 points over 70 games played. Second in the Central Division. Second best in the Western Conference. In the second round of the playoffs, they lost to the Dallas Stars. We all know what Nathan McKinnon is capable of. He had 35 goals, total of 93 points last year. Now, some of the big moves of the offseason. Devin Taves is in. Brandon Saad is in. Nikita Zadorov is out, as well as Anton Lindholm. Well, let's go back. Before we go forward, we're going to bring in Connor McGahee, radio play-by-play voice for the Avs. He's going to tell us what happened last year in that loss to the Dallas Stars in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I, I think it's partially true, uh, and, and that's the case for for any team, uh, and momentum can stop at any time, right? Uh, that's why the team that starts the playoffs or ends the regular season and starts the playoffs on a roll has a tendency to go the furthest. The thing that the Avs had to battle last year was injuries, and you had six starters out. Even with six starters out, including their top two goaltenders, they're able to push Dallas to a seventh game and lose in overtime to a random Joel Kiviranta hat trick uh, <laughs> for, an, for an overtime winner. Uh, but the injury bug bit, and it bit hard in that Dallas Stars series. Arizona, they get past Nashville, they sort of used up all their magic, and the Avs uh, seemed to put up a touchdown every single game on the Arizona Coyotes. They were healthy then, but then the injuries started to trickle in. You're talking about Gabe Landeskog not being in there, Miko Rantanen injured as well, and then you have Philip Grubauer and Pavel Francouz go down. I think we're talking about a different story. Actually, I know we're talking about a different story if... Half of those guys are healthy, especially mm-hmm. the netminders. And, and that's the thing with this year's team, Ted, is Joe Sackick was able to make the team better and still stay $1.8 million under the cap. Mm-hmm. Trade for Brandon Saad from Chicago. 
he was able to look at the New York Islanders cap situation and steal Devon Taves away mm-hmm. from him as an RFA, sign him to a four-year deal at $4 million, which is uh, a great discount. Because remember, you still have Nathan McKinnon three years left at $6.3 million. It sounds like a cliche. Everyone said it, but it's still the best deal probably in professional sports for a player. So this team, if they can get around the injury bug that has a tendency to bite them, then I think they can actually live up to the expectations which which you put on them and a lot of other people put on them as well. And that's why they're sort of relishing that role as favorites, not just in the West, but maybe to, to, to lift the cup here in 2021. So we all know that the expectations are there for the Avalanche. A lot of people have them as the best team in the NHL or the team most likely to win the Stanley Cup or I should put it another way no one's going to be surprised if they're in the conference final or in the Stanley Cup final and from what Connor told me they are embracing those expectations they love the fact that this pressure is on their shoulders but and we keep on coming back to this it's different lack of a true preseason lack of a true training camp so what are the signs of success and the signs of trouble that we're going to be seeing from the Avs? Well, the Avalanche traditionally get off to hot starts. They just do. I don't know why that is, whether it's October, uh, whether it's January. They get off to hot starts usually. They had no losses their first eight games last year. That tends to be the case. So They just come out of the gates warmed up and ready to go. Uh, Signs of success, I would look in between the pipes, Mm -hmm. to be honest, and uh, because that seems to be the only question mark in people's minds. Not because of ability, because combined numbers are good, record is good. Uh, and I think especially in a 56-game season, the clear number one goaltender, while teams may have them, they're going to need one and 1A. One mm-hmm. Because you have, for example, the Avs at the end of January have two back-to-backs in a week, two of the four that they have all season long against St. Louis and the Minnesota Wild, four straight games versus Minnesota, you're going to have to use both both goaltenders, maybe even alternating each night. So there is some question marks in people's minds about is Philip Grubauer a starting netminder and can Pavel Francouz repeat the magic that he had last year? I think the answer to that personally, or both those questions, is yes, but uh, that would be one piece if the Avs do not go the distance this year that Joe Sacking might have to look next year in a year where he's got to pay Kale McCarr and Gabriel Landeskog. Uh, he, he's got $5.3 million and two goalies right now for one year. That's that's a great look for him. He's hoping that he doesn't have to go to the well somewhere on a veteran netminder. But I, I think in between the pipes would be the one place to look because – you know Nathan McKinnon is going to be going like gangbusters. He said yesterday he wants to be more consistent. He had, he had 93 points last year in 69 games. I, I don't know how you get more consistent than that. But it, to watch him match up with Andre Burakovsky and Miko Rantanen on that top line, and that allows flexibility for Landis Gog, who played great with Nazem Kadri in the postseason last year. I assume Brandon Saad will be the right winger on that line. And then you have utility guys like Valeri Nichushkin. There, there isn't really any downside to any of that, and I don't think anybody in those combinations is going to struggle. So the one piece that I can really pick out is between the pipes for Colorado. And by the way, you guys didn't think I was going to get through this without asking about Mr. Donskoy, did you? Uh, he's, first of all, a fabulous human being. Everybody I talk to from the Bay Area, from the Sharks organization, doesn't matter who, when he had to leave San Jose, it seemed like they were devastated. I, I can see why from a personal standpoint and the way that he plays. Um, and he's like Saad in the fact that you can put him anywhere. He doesn't complain, and he's he's great. Once he gets healthy, too, because he battled two and three injuries last year, I, I think he's one of the best utility players in the National Hockey League. Uh, as of right now, he'd probably be on a line with Nachushkin and JT Comfort. Third line for Colorado, that can always change. But that was a great signing for the Avalanche, and I, I don't have to tell anybody in Sharks territory about that. The Giannis Donskoy was definitely a steal away from SAP Center. And on a lighter note, I am not the only one that has noticed the hair of Jared Bednar. It is absolutely fantastic right now. He is clearly keeping away from the barber, uh, but the hair he is rocking right now is absolutely amazing. It's, it, it is it is the definition of lettuce and you know who might have the longest hair is ryan graves i was i was thinking back to do you remember the old bud light hockey falls commercials from yeah. the 90s yeah ryan graves 
might might actually be from Hockey Falls, wherever that is. His hair is so long. But yeah, Bednar has embraced the long hair that he started in the bubble. Uh, it survived the uh, the past couple months in Charleston, South Carolina, and it may be here to stay. So for the Colorado Avalanche, the expectations are sky high. The talent is sky high. We know what this team is capable of, and we know that they are embracing the pressure and the expectations but it's always different when it's the preseason compared to it's the grind and all of a sudden things are going well or are not going well uh, to where you really understand what that team is. Every single team and every single year of the NHL and in all sports, it's a different dynamic. It's a different identity. You have the infrastructure, you have the foundation, but what it's going to turn into in a year that is as potentially wild as this We all have to wait and see. From the Avs, we are going to jump to the Minnesota Wild. So let's look back one year ago. The Minnesota Wild were 35-27, and 6th in the Central, 10th in the Western Conference. Some of the big losses of their offseason were big additions for the San Jose Sharks. Devin Dubnik, as well as Ryan Donato. Plus, you're looking at no more Miko Koivu and no more Eric Stahl. But some of the new infusions of talent are Cam Talbot, Marcus Johansson, Nick Bonino, as well as Andrew Hammond. For more on the Minnesota Wild, we are going to be joined now by Tom Reed, who, of course, is their radio color commentator as well as a former NHLer himself. He has been a part of the NHL going back to 1967 when he played for the Blackhawks. His last year was in 1978 with the Minnesota North Stars, where he played the final 10 years of his career. This man knows hockey. One of the first questions I asked him about was that guys are going to see each other a lot. Two-game series, sometimes four-game series. Our temper's going to flare. Our guy's going to get sick of each other. This is a, it's a playoff dynamic. That's going to be the entirety of the regular season. Oh, I think, I I don't think there's any any question about it's going to happen. Because if you go back, and I go back to the six-team league when I was a kid growing up and watching them, I mean, these these teams were nasty to each other. And the closer you get to the playoffs, the nastier they got. And this is just like a play. This is like playoffs. So you see a team eight times and somebody does something to you in that first or second game. You're going to have plenty of time to go back and get that, that person back at some other point. Now I know the rules have relaxed somewhat in some of the areas that uh, we used to do things that we got, got away with. You can't do them anymore, but uh, at the same time, I think it certainly will have a, a bearing on how the, the uh, players approach each game and the team that they're playing. So it will be an interesting dynamic to see how tempers do manage themselves throughout the course of the year. But let's talk big picture on the wild because the atmosphere has been kind of stuck in the middle. So let's look at this from, you know, the top down. What do we see when we look at the wild? Well, we've had a lot of changes here. You know, Bill Guerin came in in August of last of uh, 2019 and didn't have a lot of time to put things together uh, once they made a uh, uh, general manager change here. And and with that in mind, uh, he's worked hard and he does it in a situation that's really been difficult with the, the pandemic and all the things you have to deal with. But mm-hmm. we've made, he's made a number of changes. And the one thing is that in, in hockey, we we were actually in the middle all the time. We, ne- we weren't going up, we weren't going down. We're stuck in the middle. And with that, you don't get draft choices. Now, all of a sudden now, uh, we had a pretty good draft choice coming in you know, this year and we're going we're gonna to watch different things that are going to happen. But I I think, you know, that Minnesota has made a, n- a number of changes. And I think if you look at the division we're in with you guys, is the fact that we know that, uh, you know, Colorado, you got St. Louis, you got Vegas. I mean, those are the top three teams. And there's that, that fourth spot for the playoffs is going to be decided by who's going to be the, the better team. We don't know until we get on the ice and see the games that are going to be played. We don't know how our team our team is going to react because we've, we've had a lot of players. We've taken out a lot of players, mm-hmm. too, that have been a big part of our team for so long. But all of a sudden now we're losing guys, you know, like our, our captain Miko Koivu. I mean, he he's out of the out of the mix right now, and and, and rightfully so. But uh, there's a lot a lot of guys that uh, have left the uh, you know Eric Stahl's another guy, guy mm-hmm. uh, Conan, Luke Cunnan, who's gone. I mean, these are guys that were very important to our, our hockey club at one time. But all of a sudden now they got a bunch of changes, and Dean Evison coming in, he's only had 12 games experience as a head coach in the NHL, so it should be kind of a kind of, it should be a kind of a fun year. The the, the bad thing is don't get the travel as a yeah. broadcaster everything has to be done from our own arena on, on site so we'll have to do it off of tv monitors which isn't the greatest thing but we'll get through it now of course we would be remiss if we did not ask about two of the newest members of the san jose sharks who came from the wild devin dubnik 
and Ryan Donato. Doobie, when he came here, he was terrific for us uh, when he first came here from uh, uh, Phoenix years ago and really got us into the playoffs and really did well. He's had a last couple of years haven't been great. And last year was a tough year. His wife had some medical problems. And I think that weighed on his mind as well. But you've got a goaltender certainly has proven himself in the past. And I think he'll help your, your cause. Uh, a great deal. I mean, uh, goaltending, the, the problem in our, in our game, I should say the problem, but if you don't have goaltending, you're not going to win too many hockey games. Mm-hmm. And if your goaltender is bad, you're not going to win any hockey. I think your goaltending has to be solid because it, it also gives your team confidence uh, when your goaltender can stop the puck. And if he can't stop the puck and you give up an early goal, goal, you can just feel the air go out of the bench when those things start to happen. Doobie wasn't quite as good last year. Hopefully he'll rebound for you guys this year, but not in, in a real good way, but because uh, you're in our division. But at the same time, I think he'll give them a little bit more. The one kid is going to be, I think, exciting for you guys too, is when you have young players that are able to jump up, like Ryan Donato, and he, he can score goals. There's mm-hmm. no question. He's got some offensive ability to him. He's a little bit... A a little bit soft and when i say that he gets knocked off the puck a little bit easier but hopefully with maturity that will that will uh, make him a better player and give him a little more drive as well so for the wild when we look at their big picture is their floor as low as the potential of the ducks or the kings no but i think you have to put them in with the sharks as well as the coyotes Um, because those are the teams that are going to be vying for when we look at it on paper that fourth and final spot now Things change, obviously, but we're looking at this from a, a healthy perspective heading into the season. We Like we keep on saying, we know St. Louis, we know Vegas, we know the Avs are the top three. It's the fight for the fourth. Like we said earlier, the Kings and the Ducks, they're maybe a little bit farther off, so the fight's going to be between the Sharks and the Coyotes and the Wild. Now, let's talk Vegas Golden Knights. We know they have been enemy number one for the San Jose Sharks since they entered this league. Of course, we all think back to the classic playoff series they had in 2019, which San Jose won in Game 7. They've had a trip to the Stanley Cup Final and lost. They've had a trip uh, to the Western Conference Final and lost. And, of course, uh, there was the opening round loss to the Sharks. So they have made it extremely far in each of their first few seasons in the NHL. You look last year. 39, 24, and 8. First place in the Pacific, third place in the West. And, of course, their head coach is none other than Pete DeBoer, who was picked up by Vegas last year after the Sharks and Peter DeBoer parted ways. It makes for a wild and interesting, very, very interesting uh, matchup now, even more so when the Sharks and the Golden Knights face off. We know that it's going to be interesting when they play the Blues because they picked up Alex Petrangelo, which is just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think any of us saw that one coming, but they also don't have Paul Stasny anymore. No more Nate Schmidt, no more Derek Engeland. To get us caught up on all things Vegas, we are joined by the radio play-by-play commentator for the Golden Knights. It is Dan Duva. Dan, let's wind it back and talk about where Vegas was last year before the season came to a halt and then when things started up again in the bubble. Yeah, and Vegas was playing so well in March and the big victory in Edmonton right before everything was paused. And I think it was 11 out of 13 they had won. And they, because of that success, they had taken the division lead. That victory against Edmonton put them in a really good position to clinch the division, which obviously they they did. They didn't know it at the time. <laughs> but I think that the the beginning of Phase four, the return to play, the round robin, the opening rounds of the playoffs, the team did look really good. They were scoring over four goals per game. Both goaltenders were contributing. But as the the postseason wore on, notably in the Vancouver series towards the end, Thadger Demko was great for the Canucks, but the Golden Knights just couldn't finish in the scoring department. And that continued into the Dallas series where the games were a lot lower scoring. So they were getting a lot of chances. Mm -hmm. They couldn't finish. So you wonder if it was a group that, uh, you know, maybe there weren't as many moving pieces. The guys who had come in hadn't been with the team for all that long. Of course, new elements to the coaching staff. 
Pete DeBoer, Steve Spot, of course, being the, the notable, notable additions, uh, replacing Mike Kelly and Gerard Gallant. So again, things looked really good out of the gate. It's hard to put your finger on why it didn't continue, um, but that has been one of the focuses in this training camp, not only getting the scoring opportunities, that, that's no problem, it's finishing. And we'll see if some of the, the tweaks they've been working on in camp prove fruitful, not only as the season begins, but in the long haul. From there, let's talk about Alex Petrangelo and making this work within the Las Vegas talent scheme as it currently exists. Now for Pete DeBoer, he loves getting a new talent, I imagine, but he doesn't exactly have a whole lot of time to make everybody understand each other's game. And we think about Pete DeBoer, his experience coaching high-level defensemen, look no further than, say, the Eric Carlson's, the Brent Burns of the world, and now here's Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo in Vegas. Which coach wouldn't want that opportunity? Petrangelo will adapt because he's a pro. I mean, he's an Olympian. He's a former captain, cup winner. Figuring out the structure, some of those little things will come in time. But the other thing that was interesting to hear Pete DeBoer talk about, the logistics. Alex Petrangelo has never been in the Golden Knights dressing room other than a brief tour. So they're having a scrimmage in T-Mobile Arena just so Alex can figure out where he goes to park, right? <laughs> how to get around the arena. Those little things without any preseason games, you want to make sure come opening night against the Ducks on the 14th that everybody is thinking about hockey and not getting lost on the way to the rink. So there are those little things, but... DeBoer did compare this training camp to phase three of return to play over the summer because at that stage, he was putting in a lot of new stuff he had not yet put in in January, February, March when he had taken over yeah. his coaching approach. At that, at that point, was more focused. And then the phase three it was more structure, more widespread, and everybody picked up on that. So now it's not implementing new stuff. It's reminders. It's just getting sharper with that kind of thing. So it seems that they're ahead of where you might expect because of the phase three coaching that they did back in the summer. So here's what I have to know from your perspective. What was it like when Pete DeBoer suddenly became the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights? It was jarring in the <laughs> opening days. And the timing of it was quite interesting because the Golden Knights had this long homestand and in that homestand, they had this huge comeback against the Blues. They were down by a four, came back to win. But then the next game, they fell behind, didn't come back. Next game, they fell behind, didn't come back. And that was the trend as they embarked on a month-long road trip, four games before and four games after the bye weeks. So that was roughly a month without any home games in Las Vegas. And it was during the first leg of that trek that the coaching change was made. So DeBoer joined the team in Ottawa, but after a couple of games – there was this long break, the, the bye week and the all-star break together. And that period of time was used by Pete DeBoer to get settled, but also to talk to his new coaches and figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. Then they resumed afterwards. They're trying to figure things out. But what kept coming back to me, imagine if this had happened, if the team were at home. The initial reaction from the Golden Knights fans was uh, just, a, 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 just a, a shock, but also disappointment that you know, you've moved on from Gerard Gallant, who is all about loyalty, the first head coach and on and on and had the, the trust of the players. But the team was not living up to expectations. I mentioned the struggles right before the break. Earlier in the, in the season, they had overhauled their defensive structure. And I don't think that uh, Gerard Gallant did that very enthusiastically. Anyhow, I think that winning cures all. Mm -hmm. And Pete DeBoer's team with the Golden Knights got better. Uh, they played better. They were winning more games. And clearly what happened over the summer, you've got the break, you've got distractions. I mean, the real world comes along with the pandemic and people are not thinking so much about which coach they like and which coach they don't. They just want hockey and they want to win and you kind of take what you have. And so uh, then, you know, they did well in the return to play. There were there were more controversies there. We know about Marc-Andre Fleury and his agent, Alan Walsh, and the, the tweet and all of that. But um, you know, the team has managed to work through that. Flurry and Leonard are both with the Golden Knights now. And uh, that is going to be a big asset for the organization. And you have to uh, give Pete DeBoer credit for handling all of that the way that he did. And now putting the Knights in a position where they are, which is Stanley Cup final favorites. And what fan wouldn't want your team to be Stanley Cup final favorites? And if your coach is putting you in that position, I think you've got to embrace it. And that's where Vegas is right now. They are a legitimate cup contender.
We all look at this team and we tell ourselves, we know the talent is there. We know they have a good coach. We know that they've been battle-tested the last few years. They've made it to a Stanley Cup final. They've made it to a Western Conference final. They played the Sharks in one of the greatest playoff series any of us can remember. They know what they are fighting for, a Stanley Cup. Now we turn to the St. Louis Blues. Two years ago, this is the team that knocked the Sharks out of the Western Conference Final and advanced to win Lord Stanley's Cup. Taking a look at their 2019-2020 season, they were 42-19-10. First place in the Central Division at the tops of the Western Conference. They were rolling at that point, and then it all went awry in the playoffs when they lost in the first round to the Vancouver Canucks. And a lot of people were pointing to Jordan Binnington, who had been so magical one year prior. A little bit of that magic ran out. Now me, I was not willing to point all the blame at him, and that was one of the first things I asked about when speaking with radio play-by-play voice of the St. Louis Blues, Chris Kerber. I said, hey, that assertion that it's all on the goalie doesn't jive with me. No, I mean, part of it was, but I only say that because the reality of it is something wasn't jiving with the whole team Mm -hmm. uh, in the bubble. I don't, what I really did think, and and I've said this a lot, what I thought would be an absolute strength of the St. Louis Blues and an advantage, frankly, I don't think panned out that way. I thought that the mental toughness of this team, what they showed the year before, the attitude that Craig Berube instilled in this team, and then what they showed throughout the regular season when the pause hit, you know, they were still, albeit because they played one more game, but they were still the top team in the Western Conference, you know, and, and that's still better than Vegas. It was a little bit, you know, obviously better than than, uh, than Colorado. So um, I, th- I thought it would be there. And, and in the end, it wasn't. Uh, and, and I think it was because they maybe weren't as sharp when camp started. Uh, mm-hmm. Craig Berube said after that he thought that if he had something to do over, he probably would have made sure the guys were back in town a little bit sooner and, and, and getting ready to go. And what we have seen and said for this year is something completely opposite. A lot of guys were back in earlier, so it's a totally different beast. And um, and I'm not I'm not hanging too much on that bubble. I think the Blues had a couple guys that were dealing with COVID in there too, still the, the recovering from mm-hmm. that. So it was disappointing. And I can tell you what, though, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that what happened in the bubble has bothered a lot of these players and has definitely fueled some of the early motivation to be ready to go right now. Now the Alex Petrangelo situation. Longtime captain leaves, goes to what you didn't know would be an interdivision rival in Las Vegas. What's the inside scoop on that? Well, uh, look, it's it's a loss. I mean, if you lose a, a top player in its prime, a guy that the last couple of years has been in your top five in Norris Trophy voting across the, the National Hockey League, um, and uh, and it's and it's going to be a loss. But Doug Armstrong is really hedged his bet pretty well here with the the acquisition of Falk last year and then realizing, look, I'm not going to waste any time. We, we've had plenty of time to negotiate a contract and haven't been able to get to it. Tory Krug's available. He's interested. They went out and they signed him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so th- there's going to be some differences. Some guys are going to be in ice time for the last, you know, eight years. I know he was here 10, but he had to grow into that. Alex did. So, there's going to be ice time that now guys are going to have to get used to, but I still think that the Blues defensive depth is there. And, and I think Colton Pareko is the kind of player to take some stride. I think he just signed a fantastic defenseman in Tory Krug that adds, I think, more of a power play element to your team than you had with Petrangelo on top of it. And so the way I look at it is if Justin Falk returns to form and you get the percentage better play that you'd expect in the growth of some of your other players, I still think you're going to be fine. And then when he signs with Vegas, you don't think he's going to be in the division, right? But yeah. then, boom, he's in the division. So what, what an amazing storyline this is going to be for eight games. Now, another big question for the Blues is Vladimir Tarasenko. We don't know when he is going to be back. We know he is dealing with this injury that's kept him out. And if he does come back, that adds a whole new weapon and or problem, depending on your point of view, for the St. Louis Blues offense. Well, Vladimir Tarasenko had to undergo surgery on the same shoulder that kept him out most of last season. Tried to give it a go, was unable to do it, so they had to go back in and operate. That five-month window before they do any reevaluation takes us into about that first week of February. 
so, you know, for the first few weeks of this season, he's not a factor. Uh, and then how long will it take him to get back to where, where he's comfortable with it? Who knows? Can he return the same way? I know he's motivated, too. He's, he's definitely said that. He's fired up with people that ask the question after three shoulder surgeries, can you still be the same player? So, plus, I, I think you look at this team and the eagerness to get back and be a part of this team, or if he comes back and is healthy, I, I don't know that there's a deeper team in the West. As good as Colorado and Vegas would be, neither one of them will be deeper than the St. Louis Blues, that's for sure. He, he will be back in there. We hope he's going to be ready to go. But again, Doug Armstrong goes out and finds a way to grab a hold of Mike Hoffman, mm-hmm. where in two scenarios, if Vladimir Tarasenko has hiccups along the way, you found a 30-goal scorer that you put in your lineup. If, if Vladimir Tarasenko is good to go, you now have two in your lineup. So it's uh, pretty amazing how that transpired. And then, of course, there's the question of whether or not this team is embracing or shunning the level of expectation that is placed on them. Like the Knights and like the Avalanche, a lot of people have the Blues on a very short list of true contenders for the Stanley Cup. So how does this team respond to that? I can tell you that the expectations that the players have for themselves and the coaching staff and and this organization has is higher right now than I think expectations that, you know, people that try to prognosticate the West are. I know that the Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights are the sexy picks to go with and, and justifiably so. I understand that you know you're dealing potentially with, you know, the the top line in hockey with McKinnon and you've got the great depth of um, and what you know, the addition of Petrangelo to Las Vegas, I think is going to make them a much better team defensively. But, but again, and, and this is, this is fact, this isn't just, you know, drinking blues Kool-Aid and, and looking at the world through those colored glasses, you know, but uh, you've got the potential come March to have two thirty goal scorers on this team. Mm-hmm. You've got a fourth line, a fourth line that consists of, Kyle Clifford, a two-time Stanley Cup champion. Oscar Sundquist and Barbashev, who have each won a Stanley Cup. Sundquist was on pace for a 20-goal season two years ago, was on pace for another 15-goal season last year. You had Ivan Barbashev that's had back-to-back seasons of over 10 goals, and both of those guys approaching the 30 points. I mean, that's your fourth line. The only proper takeaway from that is that, yes, this team is aware of the expectations, but they come with good measure. They are not having these expectations placed upon them for erroneous or false reasons. The Blues, like the Knights, like the Avs, true contenders for the Stanley Cup. And we're going to wrap things up with a look at your San Jose Sharks. Listen, I know that you know much of the story just as well as I do. Last year was a big-time disappointment. 29-36-5, and 63 points on the season, 8th in the Pacific Division, last in the West. We know what happened. Injuries, 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 and injuries. When you lose Eric Carlson, Logan Couture, and Tomas Hurdle, those three in particular, that's not going to be good for anyone. You also know that Brent Burns had a down year. You also know there was trouble out there. Evander Kane, inconsistent from the start, even though he was your leading goal scorer. You also know how much of an onus there was on Timo Meyer because he had to do so much in terms of, of scoring when guys were going down. And you know that in terms of the goaltending, it was not what it needed to be. And there's a lot of things that factor in there. I'm not going to lie in the slightest. A lot of things factor in to what happened to the San Jose Sharks last year. But as much as I think everybody is, to an extent, writing them off, you got to look at the names that are on this roster. I mean, so many of the names that I just listed. Brent Burns, one of the premier defensemen in the NHL. Eric Carlson, when he's healthy, arguably the premier defenseman in the NHL. Oh, and guess what? He is healthy. Mark Edward Vlasic, one of the most underappreciated guys in terms of defensemen in the NHL. Then you have a guy like Mario Ferraro, who is making that next step in his career and looking like he can be one of the next defensemen that's part of of this San Jose Sharks franchise. We saw what he could do last year. Think of what he's going to be able to do now in his next year of hockey. He's had more time to gain experience and get stronger. Then you look at the offense. Healthy Logan Couture, healthy Evander Kane, healthy Tomas Hurdle, healthy Timo Meyer. And then you look at the next steps from some of these young guys, like Orion Donato, who came over from the wild in the offseason, like a Noah Gregor, like a Kevin LeBanc, another one, Dylan Gambrell. I could keep on listing names, but I think you get my point. The Sharks have talent. It's undeniable, and it looks like they're heading into this year healthy after heading into last year 
a bit hungover from a late season yet again that saw disappointment in the Western Conference Finals in 2019 and just saw them a little bit beat down and beaten up. That's how it goes in the NHL sometimes, and it was a worst-case scenario. Listen, if the Sharks are healthy last year, they're not a world-beater, but they're in the playoffs. And that's not the way that it went down last year, and it was a worst-case scenario year. I do not expect that to happen again this year, nor do I expect it to be a best-case scenario year. That said, you've got veteran leaders like Patrick Marlowe, Logan Couture, Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, and hopefully you get more of what we saw from Martin Jones when he started getting a little bit more rest. His play improved last year. And then Devin Dubnik, I think that if he gets his mojo going again, he looks like a quality goalie as well. If you get that balance right, things can trend in the right direction for the San Jose Sharks in a real hurry. All right, that wraps it up for the Honda NHL West Division Preview Show. I want to give a big thanks to Jim Fox from the LA Kings, Dan Wood from the Anaheim Ducks, Matt McConnell with the Arizona Coyotes, Connor McGahee from the Colorado Avalanche, Tom Reed of the Minnesota Wild, Dan Duva with the Vegas Golden Knights, and Chris Kerber from the St. Louis Blues. Guys, I cannot even begin to explain how good it is to be back talking hockey talking Sharks hockey. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. You've been listening to the Honda NHL West Division Preview with Ted Ramey on the San Jose Sharks Audio Network.